Good morning, everyone. Good to be together again. It was an epic weekend, and it's going to continue as we finish the book of Philippians this morning. So you can open your Bible there to Philippians chapter 4. It's been a joy to study this book together, especially because we've been doing it uh, with home groups at the same time. And this has been a, a season where we've been calling this home groups ministry uh, at the table. And we uh, have just heard how much it has blessed so many of you. And the question has been, when are we doing this again? So we are going to have home groups again this time uh, next year. We're kind of going to go through that rhythm of having home groups and then midweek service and then rolling back into men's and women's Bible studies. Uh, but just because home groups have been so incredible, I want to give a special thanks to all of the families who hosted in their homes. And so let's, let's give it for them. And I've just been really amazed to see how the body has been working together and the relationships that have been formed uh, because of this season we've gone through. So... Uh, it is uh, bittersweet to say that we are ending Philippines today and home groups are going to be coming to an end this week, but that also means that we're going to be starting some new things. And I have two things to let you know about. The first is that next Sunday, we're going to be starting a new book of the Bible. The way we go about things here at Calvary is we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. This is called expository preaching. It's what you're going get to get here. And uh, so uh, I'm excited to announce to you what the next book is going to be, and we are going to study the book of Hebrews. So it is a wonderful book, one of my favorites, and that's going to take us uh, through the rest of this year. There's so many wonderful Old Testament references, some really deep um, theological ideas about who Jesus is, um, but really the focus is going to be about how Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is the greater, uh, and we're going to get a good look at who Jesus is and why we trust him with our lives. Um, but the second thing to let you know about is our Wednesday night series is going to be soon approaching. The last week of June and every week of July on Wednesday nights at 630 we're going to gather here for dinner beforehand and some fellowship, and then we're going to go through uh, some psalms together. We're calling it Summer in the Psalms. We've already got five of them picked out, and uh, I talked to uh, my pastor, David Guzik, and he's going to be coming down to teach one of those, so that's something to look forward to. Um, but just so many great things to look forward in the church. But we want to finish off this season well. And so hopefully your Bible's open to Philippians 4. We're going to pick it up today at verse 6. And I think what you're going to see in this chapter is that it is packed full of promises from God. Um, easily could have done three sermons off of this section, but we're going to get through it together. And uh, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's read the first two verses of our section for today, starting at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right. With a scripture like that, what do you think we should probably do? 
We should pray for this service because that is what this verse is calling us to. It's calling us to be a people of prayer. So let's ask the Lord right now. God, we ask that as we enter into this time of of your word, Lord, your word is true. It is transformative for our lives. It has all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we know, Lord, that in this life we have many struggles, one of those being anxiety. And I pray for anyone here today who has come here with an anxious heart or mind or any worries, Lord, that they would come to you now and find refuge um, through prayer and through the word. God, I ask that you would speak through me, Lord, not my words, but your very living words spoken by the Holy Spirit to each one of our hearts so that we can grow in Christ-likeness. Lord, we ask that you would do a great work in our midst this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 is a very well-known promise of God's word. Um, perhaps this is one of those verses that you have memorized. And, uh, you know, I, I might throw up, say, raise your hand if you have this verse memorized. But, you know, um, maybe raising your hand in church makes you anxious. So let's, let's not do that, right? But there's a lot of things in this life that makes us anxious. From the little things like raising your hand in a public setting to big things, big worries and struggles that we're dealing with. But what we're going to be talking about today is that um, because we do often experience anxiety in our hearts and minds, we want to come to God's word. And the reason why I believe so many people have this word hidden in their hearts is because we do. There's these moments in our days and in our weeks where we're going through life and an anxious thought or an anxious feeling comes into your, your heart and you need to stop and you need to remember, oh, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I need to let my request be made known to the Lord. And the God of peace will guard my hearts and mine in Christ Jesus. We know that this is a peace that surpasses any kind of understanding. And so this is a promise that we have because anxiety, as we know, is a big issue within the human condition. Perhaps even as I've talked about anxiety already this morning, it's making you a little bit anxious. You're like, what's this guy going to say about this? And even as I talk about anxiety, I actually feel a little bit anxious because I know that this is a very sensitive issue for a lot of people, right? And it is an increasing problem in our society where people are giving increasing answers to how to solve this issue. But, but listen, anxiety is not a new problem. The Philippians were just as human as we are. And they struggle with the very same things that we deal with. And so whether you were a Philippian living in the first century or a Californian living here in the 21st century, God's word provides the same command with the same promise that is going to combat our anxiety. So we're told by God, through his perfect word, do not be anxious about anything. As I said, this is a command of God, and if it interests you, in the Greek, there's a verb tense here that it is in the present imperative, meaning we can uh, actually translate this to say something like, stop being anxious right now. You have nothing that you need to worry about. 
Now, for anyone who has been anxious, how well do those words usually come across? Stop being anxious right now. Now, that would be a problem if that's all this scripture left us with, which was a command to stop. Stop worrying right now or else. But that's not what Paul does here. And instead, what we're given is a powerful solution, a replacement to our anxiety by giving another present imperative command. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul says that we are to be anxious about nothing. Nothing. That word means what it means. Nothing. We're to be anxious about nothing, but we are to pray about everything. We would be left probably frustrated, empty, and directionless if we were left only at do not be anxious. But we're being led to move far beyond our anxiety into a solution, into a replacement, which is prayer. That we can pray because there is a real solution here in the Bible given to a very real and debilitating problem, which is anxiety. And look, Paul was no stranger to anxiety and to worry. And in fact, I actually believe that Jesus himself experienced anxiety. If you go read the Gospels and you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the evening before Jesus uh, was was arrested. It's the night he was arrested to be led to crucifixion. And as he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And he was sweating what were like great drops of blood as he agonized over the prospect of the cross. He said, Father, if there be any other way that we could go about this, let's do that. And yet he prayed, right? That was the solution. He prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. I think about how Paul, when he listed as one of his sufferings in the book of Corinthians, his constant anxiety for the churches. Or I think about how for myself personally, when about two years ago, when my son was born, and he was getting a wellness check, and his oxygen was low. And they took him off and whisked him into the NICU and started hooking him up and and running tests on him, and I sat there not knowing what was going on. And in that moment, what did I do? Well, I remember as this scripture came to my mind, into my heart, and I began to pray. What do you do when it feels like the wheels are coming off? in life. We pray. That is what we do as children of God, because this scriptural promise is for those who, when we feel anxious, and not if we feel anxious, when we feel anxious, we pray. And what is prayer? Prayer is, at its most basic level, talking to God. That's what prayer is. You're you're talking to the God who knows everything about everything, which means that we can actually talk to God about our anxiety. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, none of the apostles were immune to worry. But what they learned is that instead of bearing that themselves, they learned to cast it onto Jesus. And Jesus often spoke to them about how we're to pray, most notably in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about worry and anxiety. He he says we need to pray and we need to trust God in those anxious moments. And again, the Bible is not saying that this struggle is never going to happen or that it doesn't happen to godly people. The Bible recognizes anxiety as something so very common to humanity, yet it it doesn't leave us in that state. The Bible calls us up out of it by faith and by trust. We can be brought up out of our worries by doing what should be a very common practice for the believer in Christ. We can pray. We can talk to God about it. We can cast every anxiety upon him. Why? Because we know that he cares for us and that he's in control. And so while prayer is just simply talking to God and you can tell God anything that you're feeling at any moment of the day, I understand that it doesn't always feel so simple to pray, you know, in those anxious moments. But let's not overcomplicate this. Prayer is a very real solution. Paul speaks to the kind of prayers that we should give when we're feeling anxious. He says, notice, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication is this word for prayer that simply means to make your request to God. That God will act upon your behalf as you call upon him to work in your life. But we're also to give thanksgiving, knowing with gratitude that God is already working, that God is already in the midst of our lives, and there is so much, even when we're feeling anxious, that we can thank him for the ways he's already worked on our behalf. And so we follow through with this two-part command that Paul says to us. We're to stop being anxious, and we're to start praying with requests in thanksgiving. And then something happens. Something happens because good things happen when we follow God's word, right? This command of God not only comes as this, you know, present imperative command, like we got to do this, we got to do it now, we got to do it continually. It's not just a command, but it also comes with a promise that says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something happens when we do this. God comes. God brings peace to the heart and the mind of the anxious person. Now, as I say this, I want to know, have you experienced this firsthand? Because you might be like, wow, Daniel, wonderful exposition of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. <laughs> you know, really touched on every little nuance of that text. But, but have you experienced this? Because 
This is what we're talking about. We're talking about having experienced God's peace through prayer. And this is an experience that's only available to those who are in Jesus Christ. Because look, there are different kinds of peace in the Bible. And let me give you two of them. There is peace with God, and then there is the peace of God. Now, peace with God comes when we receive salvation. God meets us in his grace as we come to him by faith, believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then this peace comes because we have been reconciled to God. Because prior to salvation, we are at odds with God. In fact, the Bible says that we are enemies of God. It even says that that we were in darkness. It doesn't only say you were in darkness. It says you are darkness. And so the way in which through Christ we come to have peace with God, that is a place to start. But this isn't what Paul's talking about here. Again, he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ who already have peace with God. What he's referring to here is the peace of God. And the peace of God can only come if you have peace with God. And the peace of God is is quite simple. It is the very same peace that God himself has. So let me ask you, what is your view of God in heaven right now? Do you believe that God is perfectly at peace as he is enthroned in the heavens right now? Even as he's there, he's praying, he lives to make intercession for his people. Or do you have this misguided understanding of God where you sort of envision God in heaven right now sort of pacing back and forth, you know, kind of biting his nails like, man, how'd it get so bad down there? You know, like, man, things are just quite out of control. You know, this nation over here is uprising. What am I going to do about that? And this over here, and oh my God, did you see who became this or that? It's just like, and, and that, as though he doesn't know, or that once he found out, he's like, oh shoot. See, because anxiety is often connected to a misguided view of God at least in certain moments when we're feeling anxious or worried, what's probably happening is we've lost sight of God's care for us. We've lost sight of the fact that he is sovereign and intimately involved with his creation. God is so involved. In fact, there is not a single day, a single moment of our day that God is not present or that he does not care. God loves you and God cares for you in every single moment of life. Now, the Bible does not make light of the troubles that we might face in this life. Jesus even said, you're going to have them. You're going to have troubles. But don't worry about those troubles. Especially, don't worry about the troubles of the future. Today has enough troubles for itself. <laughs> And so we, we come to God understanding that, yes, we're going we're to have trials, we're going to have tribulation, we're going to have worries, anxieties, but what do we do with them? Are we trusting God with them? Because this peace of God that Paul's talking about is unlike anything that the world can offer to cure people's anxiety. 
But again, this peace can only come to those who have peace with God. And so I, I just have to say this, is if you've come here today and you would consider yourself one who is struggling uh, with anxiety and with worry, the first place before we go anywhere else would be to start with this. Do you have salvation in Jesus Christ? Because that is the first cure to what is ailing so much of society today. Now, I'm not saying that once you become a Christian, you'll never experience anxiety. I'm just saying that once you become a Christian, you have a solution to your anxiety. And Paul also says that this peace, it goes beyond human understanding. The world can't know this, this peace and this solution to what ails so many. And honestly, isn't it just mind-blowing how prayer brings peace? How, How our hearts become guarded when we pray to a living God. How our minds become secure when we trust in his goodness. And so once you are saved, you have truly the solution for everything. In everything, you can pray. You can bring everything to to the one who cares for you and to the one who is in control of your life. As I often like to say it, today you can bring the real you with all your worries and anxieties and troubles of your day, you can bring the real you to the real Jesus and experience real peace. Well, let's keep going as we look now at this next great command in verses 8 and 9. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is still here speaking about this promise of peace. And notice he says there again that the that the God of peace now will be with you, meaning that, that the peace of God comes to us because the God of peace is with us. And Paul also connects this peace that we can have in the Lord to two more things. The first was prayer, but the others are in our thinking and in our practices. He's telling us as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to think about certain things. So what are we to, as Christians, what are we to think about? Well, we're to think about whatever is true. We're to think about whatever is honorable. Think about whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Think about whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, think about that. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. Paul was a person who thought this way. In his thinking influenced the way that he lived. You realize that, don't you? That your thinking will influence the way that you live. And the Philippians saw the peace that Paul lived out because God was with him. And Paul was just a man who had a a loving heart and a reasonable mind because Paul learned this kind of thinking from someone else. Who did Paul learn it from? He learned it from Jesus. 
question. If, if you could think about one thing that would be all of these things, just one thing that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, what might that one thing be? I think it would be Jesus, right? Isn't Jesus the embodiment of all of these qualities? And so then if, if you follow the pattern of Jesus, if you identify with Christ, will not these things become yours in Jesus Christ? And Paul says here to the Philippians that you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me this way of thinking and this way of living. Why? Because I learned it from Jesus. And so have you learned and received and heard and seen the pattern of Jesus? Is that your thoughts? Is that your actions? Because the most peaceful people I know the people of peace that I want to be around, who I want to follow as a good and godly example, are those who have their hearts and their minds stayed on the Lord. Those who are intimately in relationship with Jesus on a continual, ongoing basis. To look to, to listen to, to learn from those who have their minds that are true and honorable, and just, and pure, and commendable, and excellent, and worthy of praise. I want to listen to, I want to look to those whose practices are shaped by these Christ-like qualities. So to have these qualities be in your mind, and in your heart, it requires that you keep your heart and mind on the Lord, that you follow Jesus. It requires that our minds be set on things that are pleasing to the Lord. Now, how might we go about doing this? Well, a great place to start is to pray. Another place to go is to read your Bible. And a thing you could also do is to rid your mind of things that are not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not any of those things listed. So perhaps today, as I've even said this, what comes to your mind right now that you know you need to part ways with? Or whose influence came to your mind that has been hindering your way of thinking? See, and I don't think I need to go through a list of things or name off certain, you know, people that, that, that speak that might have negative influence on your way of thinking and on your practice of life in hopes, you know, that one of them's going to stick. You know, I think I could probably stand up here and I could have easily, you know, taught this scripture by being like, you know, you should be careful what you're watching on Netflix and, you know, what, what are you listening to in the car and, you know, what's, you know, your most recent, you know, podcast you've been playing, you know, and it's like I could go on hoping that one of them's going to stick and you're going to be like, you know, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing that, you know, but, but you know, you know who you have seen and heard and received and learned from, you know, 
And so if any of them are not drawing you closer to Jesus, but are putting you further from Jesus, what are you going to do with those? I think you know what you need to do with those. But again, if you, if you want these qualities to be yours, if you want your mind and heart to be stayed upon these things, if you want to be you know, mindful of Jesus in all your ways, where do you begin? And again, prayer and the word of God are the greatest tools for this, for, for helping you to renew your heart and mind. I just have to say that I think that there has been a growing challenge against this council. You know, as, I, as I've talked to people, I talk to people a lot about people struggling with things that they're thinking or struggling with these feelings within their hearts and, and, and their behaviors and all of these things. Just nothing seems to be clicking. Nothing seems to be going right. And, and so I'll counsel with people. And, and, and so there's been this growing challenge, though, where, where as a pastor, you know, my response, especially starting out in, in, in pastoring, was, well, are you reading your Bible and are you praying? And there's been this challenge against that that says, oh, pastor, don't be so simple. You know, there's got to be more. And, and look, I'm fine with other alternatives because as human beings, we are multifaceted, complex People. We are emotional creatures, we are physical creatures, we are spiritual creatures. There's a lot going on in the human mind that sometimes, if you're feeling anxious, it is good to go take a walk and breathe some fresh air. But there's been this sort of growing thing that, that, that if you say, well, are you reading your Bible and are you praying? Look, these are God's primary prescriptions, primary solutions to the problems that ail us. It's not third and fourth, fifth down the list. It is the first thing that as a believer in God, you ought to be looking to, prayer and the word of God. And more and more, I find that that gets pushed further and further down the list. And I think there needs to be a renewal and a reawakening in the church for us to recognize that our first and primary counsel is, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Because your thoughts and your behaviors can change by the word of God and by prayer. That's what God does. That's what he uses this for. In fact, it must change. It's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. Well, let's continue on into verse 10 through 13 as we read even more good stuff. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty in hunger, abundance in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, like I said, I feel like this could be a whole different message, but we're going to come through to the final bit of this chapter, chapter 4, leading off here where Paul is speaking to this long-standing relationship that he had with the Philippians. 
the Philippians were a church that was healthy and vibrant, and they had supported Paul in his work as a missionary to go and start other churches. Paul was a pastor. He was a missionary, and this was his calling and his vocation, meaning that the majority of his time was spent doing this, and so um, he needed to be supported financially for him to be able to do that work. Paul did make some money on the side by operating a tent-making business that he did if it was ever a hindrance to the gospel uh, by raising financial support for the work he did. But the majority of time being spent ministering the gospel to be able to be freed up in that with financial resources from the churches was a beautiful thing. And Paul encouraged it. And Paul even said those who minister to the gospel should live by the gospel. And, and so Paul's saying, I have joy. I, I rejoice that your care for me was revived. And what he's going to do here is he's going to express to them that, that they had provided for him financially. And yet Paul was such a wise pastor where he didn't necessarily make you know, his ministry all about money. It's, it's never going to be about that. That's not the primary thing, though it's included. Paul's going to go on to say, in fact, your financial offerings, your giving is less about me, and it's actually more about you. And, and so he's saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's like, I, I don't need your money, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, Paul's contentment was not uh, dependent upon his circumstances, Remember, Paul's in prison right now, and he still had joy and confidence flowing out of him. He was a content man. Paul wasn't living in luxury as he wrote these letters, but Paul in his life had experienced luxury. He was a Pharisee. And so Paul knew the full spectrum of both needs and wants. Paul knew what it was to be poor and what it was to be rich. He, he lived the whole gamut of experience with that. But Paul learned that in whatever circumstance, whatever situation he was in, by experience, he learned to imitate Jesus. He learned to find peace and contentment in the God who provides for him. And so contentment is something that we as humans long for. It's this great quality behind human happiness. It's contentment. Contentment is realized when you realize that God has given you everything you need for your present happiness. It's wanting what you have, not having everything you want. It's enjoying the things that God has given you, no matter how much or how little. And Paul learned that it was a secret. Again, this is something that was learned. He says in verse 11, I have learned. It didn't come naturally to him to find contentment. It doesn't come naturally to any human being. I learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, Paul, then what's the secret? If he's saying, I've learned the secret of contentment, don't you want to know what it is? Well, he tells us in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who's he talking about? Jesus. 
Paul could do all things through Christ who gives strength. Strength to throw a football a hundred yards down the field, right? No, I'm just kidding. This is, if you got that reference, it's a popular verse for sports athletes. But whatever God gives you strength for, whether it's in school or athletics or work or, or entertainment or recreation or Bible reading or prayer or leadership or you name it, it says all things, all things means all things. God will give you strength. And Paul knew that the secret of enjoying life in its fullness is to live a surrendered life where you're not relying on your own strength, but you're relying on the strength that Jesus provides. And Jesus lived this way. Jesus lived in such a way where as a human being, he did not rely upon his own efforts, upon his own strength, but he relied upon the influence and the leading of the Holy Spirit and by the care and the provision of his heavenly father. Jesus modeled this lifestyle for us where we do not look to within for strength. We look outside of ourselves. We look to God for strength. And that, my friends, is the secret of contentment. And then Paul's essentially saying in context here, then your financial support just really doesn't matter to me then. Because I know that if the Lord feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, how much more valuable am I than they? And it was great, though, for Paul to receive the care and support that he got from the Philippians. Because look at verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul saying, I find all of my strength all of my contentment, all of my provision in the Lord because I know that he cares for me and he is in control, but it's nice to have you care for me as well. It's good to draw strength from other people because God uses other people to strengthen us. And then in verse 14 through 16, it says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. What Paul's getting into here is that the Philippians were really one of the only churches at that time who financially supported the work of ministry for the Apostle Paul. Even in Thessalonica, as Paul started a church there, he had to write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, because that, people were saying in that church that Paul was trying to make money off the church, that he had a pretext for greed. So Paul made sure, again, to both the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, to every church, he didn't need their money. But he's saying in all of these writings that a gospel worker will preach the gospel whether, whether or not you know, anyone gives a single dollar to it. Because the gospel's not for sale. And, and yet we understand that, that the gospel, those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. I guess I can't think of any other way to sort of apply this than to consider myself in this situation. As a pastor, I want you to understand, church, that all of my financial income comes from your giving. 
this is true for anyone who is on our staff here at this church. The way we receive um, money to be able to provide for our families and for our lives is because of your giving, your faithful generosity. And, you know, like I'm saying, I would minister to you whether or not a single dollar was given to this church. Because I must learn to be content in all things as well. But what Paul's saying here is, is, guys, this really has so much less to do with me and so much more to do with you. And, and I'm included. I could go take my seat down here with you because I also need to learn to give. And the Bible speaks about giving, and it is often connected, interestingly, to worry. See, we often have worry and anxiety when it comes to money, don't we? Isn't one of the primary things we worry about? Look at verse 17 through 19. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So again, as a pastor is financially supported by this church, I bless, I get blessed by your giving. But do you want to know who benefits the most when you give? You do. That's what Paul's saying here. In God's kingdom, the giver is more blessed than the one receiving the gift. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. By giving to God's work, Paul says here, fruit increases to your credit. Our giving, when it is done, Cheerfully and sacrificially and generously, it pleases God. And you know who else it pleases? It pleases you. And let's be clear, God doesn't need our money. The church doesn't need our money. God owns everything. All money is his money. When God commands us to give, it is so that we can have the fruitful blessing of joy in our lives. It's it's about our hearts and our minds, not about our wallets. Are you anxious about money? Perhaps the immediate solution would be give it away. Do you think more about what you can get instead of what you can give? Your thinking and your heart will be more aligned with God's thinking when you think more about what you can give rather than what you can get. Not that I seek the gift. We're not going to pass an offering plate now for you. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Giving can freak people out. My dad never went to church because he didn't like if a church talked about giving. And, and I myself... For the first six years of being a Christian, I didn't get it. This was something that I had to learn in discipleship to Jesus because generosity didn't come naturally, still doesn't quite come naturally to me. 
It is something that I've learned because I thought that I had to make money and keep all my money in case I needed it. <laughs> Let me say that again. I thought I had to make money and keep all my money in case I needed it. You know how much of me is in that sentence? Whereas Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How much different is that? And I had to learn this again. It took me six years to learn as a follower of Jesus that I'm called to give to my local church to support the work of ministry. And this is something that I seek for all of us to learn. My God will supply every need of both mine and yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You can give, and you'll be supplied with the, both the hearts and the resources to do it. Amen? Paul gives his final greeting after packing truth upon truth by saying in verse 20 to 23, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I love just this ending because it is simple and it is relational. And that's been the truth of this book. These simple relational truths, relationship with God and relationship with one another. This is where the grace of Jesus Christ will abound in your spirit. And so to every saint in this church, as we've gone through this book of Philippians, I think it would be true to say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time. And Lord, we've talked about a lot of things, Lord. But Lord, I pray there's one or even a few things that you would want to impress upon each heart. And I trust that by your spirit, you'll do that. Whether it's about our anxious worries or, or our thinking or our practices and what influences that. Or if it's our, our giving and our generosity and how we're living that out. Whatever it is, Lord, we trust that by your word, your word has gone forth and spoken. And by your spirit, you will speak it to each individual heart as you see fit. Thank you, Lord, that we can come now to worship and to the tables of communion. To just find refuge in you, Lord to experience this peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. I pray you do that now in Jesus' name, amen.